kind of looks to me like the grains and oil seats took off early for the weekend. It gave fat cattle and hogs a lift. Crude oil is sneaking higher. It almost seems like it's hoping no one is looking. We'll probably start with our guests' thoughts on USDA's reports and then work our way through the rest of the ag markets. Live from a molasses cookie of a show via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, I will speak with Ben Brown from Mizzou. I'm your capable host, Davis Michelson, filling in for Chip as he makes his way back to the broadcast bunker on his palatial woodland estate. Wish you the best. Uh, travel safe, buddy boy. He's returning home from the National Association of Farm Broadcasters um, convention right here in beautiful Kansas City. And I know that he's got some recordings and some things that he is anxious to share with us. And we probably what we'll wind up doing is doling some of those out um, over the Thursday and Friday shows later on next week so that uh, we can keep you informed as you're enjoying turkey with family and friends. I hope you'll get a chance to do so. Uh, as I said, the uh, markets kind of took off early for the weekend. I've got corn, beans, bean meal, uh, and all three flavors of wheat under pressure here. Like, for example, uh, look at your May spring wheat down eight and three quarters. Um, your March bean oil, uh, all the bean oils were up slightly today. The December contract up uh, 38 points there, but uh, soybean meal down 13 and a half in the December contract to 453.3. Uh, and th- that pulled uh, soybean futures lower for the ride. I'm looking forward to the conversation with Ben Brown, my guest from Mizzou. Um, you know, we'll probably talk just a little bit of harvest just because that's what time of year it is. Um, but then I want to want to talk some some longer term sort of things. I want to see what they're up to over at FAPRI. Um and I, and I also want to talk a little bit of end-of-year farm management. We're not quite to the end of the year, but if if you don't have a plan to close out this year with some intentionality, it's starting to feel a little bit late. So we can get our ducks in a row for the flip of the calendar into 2024. Ben Brown's going to help us get there. We'll talk inflation a little bit. Um, even I'm curious about crude oil. Um and then, of course, there's Ukraine saying it's moving grain at a pretty good clip through the humanitarian corridor. Lots to get to today. Ben Brown is such a smart dude. Um, who knows? I'm going to throw all kinds of stuff at him. We'll uh, we'll see what comes out the other side. And in the meantime, I've got the news of the day where wheat futures were unimpressed with weakness in the U.S. dollar index. December SRW futures continue to find support at 546 and a quarter with further support at 538 and three quarters. French farmers had sown 71% of the expected soft wheat area for next year's harvest as of November 13. That compares to 96% by the same time last year. So they're at 71% sowing the French soft wheat crop this year. They're, uh, they're behind the average pace by a fair bit. Meanwhile, some 151 ships have used Ukraine's new Black Sea shipping corridor since it was set up in August. On the day today, December HRW wheat features nine and one quarter cents lower, 618. December soft red wheat was down two and three quarter cents to 550 and three quarters. December spring wheat closed at 715 and one quarter, down 10 and one half cents on the day. Export demand is a big deal. Competitiveness is a big deal in the global market, especially for the wheats here. Um, on the week here, I've got December hard red winter wheat down 22 cents. 
December soft red down 24 and one half cents on the week. Spillover pressure from losses in soybeans and wheat dragged corn futures lower in today's trade. Overnight, South Korea purchased 68,000 metric tons of optional origin corn, excluding the Black Sea region. December corn is trading within Thursday's range and is consolidating between initial support at 467 and three quarters and the 20-day moving average of 475 and three quarters. December corn futures were seven and three quarter cents lower today, 467 on the close. March corn down eight cents, 485 and a quarter. May corn futures closed at 496. That's down seven and one half cents to 496 even. And on the week, we're uh, actually up just three cents. Last week, uh, we closed Friday at 464. This week, the December corn contract at 467 nets us a whole three cents on the week. Soybean futures posted losses for the third consecutive day. Beneficial rains forecast in Brazil and hefty pressure on soybean meal weighed on soybean futures today. Malaysian palm oil futures closed lower, ending a four-session rally as weakness in Dalian's soy oil and crude oil weighed on prices. January soybeans tested the 100-day moving average at 13.46 and one quarter with additional support lying at the 20-day moving average of 13.40 and one quarter. The 10-day moving average of 13.64 and a half is serving up initial resistance. January soybean futures today, 20 cents lower, 13.40 and one quarter. March beans down 18 and one half cents to 13.56 and a half. May beans closed at 13.69. That's down 17 and one half cents on the day. December cotton was uh, 24 points higher, 78.92. Oh, let's get those weeklies in there. The January soybean contract uh, looks like down seven and one quarter on the week to 13.40 and a quarter. Your December cotton futures uh, up 160 points on the week uh, to 78.92, 24 points higher on the day today for your December cotton. On the livestock side, December fat cattle firmed amid corrective buying ahead of this afternoon's cattle on feed report. Initial cash trade was two to three dollars lower in the southern plains, while some feedlots may wait until after the cattle on feed report. Yesterday's activity suggests cash cattle prices will be solidly lower for the week. December fat cattle futures firmed a sawbuck, one seventy-five seventy-five. February futures gained a dollar forty-seven and one half to one seventy-six eighty. January feeder futures gained one dollar to two twenty-eight fifty. Cattle on feed report, uh, just out as we were getting ready to start the show here. I have not seen the numbers. I haven't had a chance to look. Um, either we'll, uh, we'll get to them by the end of the show, maybe for the fourth segment, or we'll certainly talk about them, uh, Monday morning with Chip. We'll be sure and get you covered there. On the week, the cattle's, uh, let's see. I've got December fat cattle up a buck 57 and a half on the week and January feeders up $2, seven and one half cents. And on the snout side, lean hog futures were mixed as buyer interest remains limited amid continued weakness in cash and wholesale fundamentals. Nearby contracts softened while deferred contracts found support. December lean hog futures 50 cents lower at 70.97 and one half. And February hogs were down 17 and one half cents to 75.45. And on the week, December lean hog futures down 92 and one half cents to close just a little bit ago at 70.97 and one half. And that's how your news wraps up today. You know, we're, we're seeing some pressure across the commodities here. Um, is, is there a flip in behaviors? You know, I was looking at 
uh, Ben Brown's email address, and it had a really interesting word on there. Apparently, he's somehow involved in some form of sociology. That's very interesting to me. I want to maybe see if we can we can talk a little bit of psychology in the markets, maybe sociology in the markets, so it doesn't sound quite so creepy. I mean, all of this stuff does stuff because of human behavior, and so maybe we can find some ties there. Uh, anxious to talk with Ben Brown from Mizzou. He's my guest today. Chip, if you're listening, drive safe, brother. Keep your eyes on the road. Keep your hands on the wheel. I'm here, buddy. We're, we're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. Um, as I said earlier, lots to talk about. Harvest progress. Let's start there. FAPRI, end of the year farm management. I wonder if, if Ben Brown has any thoughts on the reports that came out. Farm bill, inflation, grain markets, livestock, crude oil. I mean, what, what's not to love? We'll be right back after these messages with more AgriTalk. It's your pal, Davis Michelson, filling in for Chip. Don't go away. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. If the world is your oyster, we've got pearls of wisdom on AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Your pal, Davis Michelson, here behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk. Pleased as punch to be here. So glad that you're along for the uh, conversation with Ben Brown. Uh, as I detailed in the news, kind of a rough day in the grains and oil seeds. Uh, corn down roughly seven or eight. I've got soybeans down. I mean, the January contract's down 20. We're double digits down in the beans. Um, the wheat, not quite as bad, at least for the uh, soft red wheat, but uh, hard red down eight or nine, and spring wheat down nine or 10. So a bit of a rough day there, although the uh, the fat cattle did like it. Uh, let me bring in Ben Brown now from the University of Missouri. Uh, ben, welcome to AgriTalk. It's great to have you, buddy. Yeah. Well, thanks, Davis. I really appreciate it. It's great to be with you today and certainly want to wish Chip a, a good day, too. So a good drive, yeah. safe drive home. Oh, it's probably making him nuts that he can't be broadcasting right now. I think he's probably listening. You know, it's kind of like one of those things you, you get a sliver you just can't quite pull out. I think that's probably what he's encountering right now. Well, let me let me make clear. I am I am excited to do this with you. So Excellent. you or Chip, either one of them, it's great. Well, and you're a you're a great source of information, and you you give such good context uh, for your ideas. I wonder if we can just start simple. When you when you look out your window, if you're driving down maybe some some roads outside of town, what's it look like in the fields? What's the harvest progress? Absolutely. So, you know, for our listeners, I'm based at the University of Missouri, so I get to travel around the state a lot uh, and I enjoy my time visiting with producers and out looking at corn and wheat fields. And and it's a it's a great occupation. Let me just say that, you know, Missouri was hard hit with drought this year. And, and certainly there was parts of the state that saw, you know, surprising yields, right? Yields that we thought would be a lot lower on the soybean side came in a little bit higher than many producers had anticipated. And, and frankly, even people like me and market observers or just people driving by, you know, things looked really rough there in August and early September. And I think we found pockets around the state that that did fairly well. 
Um, however, our harvest was early. Uh, many producers have been done with corn harvest for two months now. Um, a lot of producers have been done with beans for maybe going on a, a month. Uh, so there are you know areas of the state that were slow. Uh, you know, it took a while to dry down. So that's that's my normal window observation. However, mm -hmm. today I'm I'm on the road. I'm in the eastern Corn Belt, and I'm in Ohio and. And I got to be truthful, as I've been driving and looking out the window, I've seen a lot of fields unharvested. In fact, uh, there was there was a couple of places where I was driving past farmsteads and, and twice I saw a propane tank backed up, uh, refilling a farmer's propane tank. And I, I can only imagine that that is to help uh, refuel the dryers that are drying down some of this late harvested, slow to dry down corn. Um, beans. It, it, it's just, it's almost a completely different world being in Indiana and Ohio versus, you know, Missouri and Kansas. Uh, mm -hmm. Very different picture, very different mentality, very different sentiment amongst the farmers I visited with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, and part of what uh, our crop tour um, sort of figured in was that the Eastern Belt had started off this season with a lot better uh, soil moisture profile. Um, and then doing doing well towards the end of the season here and every i'm concerned because missouri hasn't had a chance to catch up on that water yet has it no i mean and and that's the thing that i think is now starting to get overlooked a little bit and, and i'm gonna i'm gonna get on my soapbox here for just a second and, well, and like really yeah. kind of well I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna try my best here to to represent missouri well but we we have not caught up and and even though like w there's all this talk of El Nino and, and what that could mean for a growing season. We just haven't seen those rains yet in Missouri. I, I live in central Missouri. And as I drive to work, I pass some, some pastures and the ponds in those pastures are completely dry, right? Like there's not an ounce of water in those, in those ponds. And, and to me, this just continues to signal that we could be another year um, and granted, I know Missouri is not, you know, fully representative of the country, but or at least the cattle producing region. But we could be another year before we could even start to talk about a rebuilding mm -hmm. in the cattle herd as a country. Mm -hmm. And I certainly can say that in Missouri, we're not going to we're not going to rebuild in the next year. Right. Like there's just no mm -hmm. water. Producers are having to haul water. No one likes to haul water during the winter, even if there's government you know, programs to help pay for it. No one likes hauling water. And so we're still liquidating this herd and selling calves early. Now we're pulling calves forward uh, and, you know, the drought certainly is impacting all of that, right? Like the, the drought's the mm -hmm. denominator there. So, right. yeah. Well, you, you mentioned farmers' sentiments in there, and uh, maybe you heard in the run-up to our conversation, I'm very interested in that uh, sociological aspect um, <laughs> that's, that's mentioned in your email signature, but... Uh, so what's, what is the word on the street? How are farmers feeling about things? Yeah. So, uh, you know, economics is a social scientist or social science. I think a lot of producers would probably view economics as a dismal science or, you know, and always a depressing <laughs> science, but right. we are a social science. Uh, you know, wh what does that mean? Right? Well, basically we study why people do what they do. Right. And my, you know, we could talk about all sorts of examples, but, you know, at a simple concept, economists spend their whole career talking or thinking about people that don't exist, right? So we talk about a perfectly mm -hmm. rational person 
Um, and that's what we study. That's what we base everything off of. That's what our models are. And, and those people don't exist. Right. And so right. that's the beauty of economics is like, why do things happen that aren't necessarily expected or, or would change? And so that's where the, you know, to lead up to your question about this farmer sentiment, um, you know, I, depending on where you're at, we're seeing a very different flavor in terms of, um, uh, like how they're reacting to, to not only a drought, but also higher price signals. Um, we're seeing, you know, the, the notion here of, uh, how cash is treated, right? So there's this broad economic concept that money is fungible. Basically, if I give you $10, you have the ability to spend that $10, uh, on whatever you want. But my research, or at least my, you know, analysis would show that people treat, or, you know, they spend money differently depending on where it comes from. So imagine you sell corn and, mm -hmm you might be tempted to spend that money from selling corn a very different way than if you received, you know, a support program because of drought or like a, a, a check from, you know, crop insurance because you had a terrible corn yield, like what we saw in Western Missouri, right? Like how you spend money is very different. And so I, I say all that to lead up to, to, to say that the biggest area of farmer sentiment that I think is, you know, intriguing to me right now is around land values. And, and particularly in places that were hit with drought this year, Western Missouri, Central mm -hmm. Nebraska, uh, those are areas where producers are scratching their head thinking, why are we continuously seeing land prices continuously go up double digits? Mm -hmm. You know, the highest, the highest region of Missouri or the, the, the largest increase in land prices for Missouri is the Western side of the state, which was hard hit by drought. Mm -hmm. And this, this gets back to my point about how people spend money. Um, it was a drought year. A lot of government support to help with drought and, and producers. One of the things we've learned is producers spend that money on land, on capital improvement projects, um, things that we typically wouldn't see if they actually produced a crop or had cattle to then sell. Right. So mm -hmm. it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting field. It's an interesting study. Um, and we're not seeing those same types of choices in the eastern Corn Belt where they actually have a product to sell or lots mm -hmm. of product to sell. Right. Yeah. So. That, that's my answer to your sentiment question. Oh, that's very interesting. I love it. I love it. Um, oh, we can get into this now. You've got your hands in. You're, you're about elbow deep up into uh, some FAPRI stuff. Do you want to talk baseline for forecasts a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So for our listeners out there that maybe aren't familiar with FAPRI or the Food and Ag Policy Research Institute, we've been around for 40 years. This is actually our 40th year um, of existence. And what we do is we do you know, policy analysis, and we, we release um, estimates for a range of different commodities across the world um, for a 10-year period of time. So that process starts now in November. Uh, we go through a big review in December, and then we release our 10-year forecast for prices in March. We do an update in August, and then the, pr the process starts all over again. So currently, right now, the team of about 18 people is, is working through the, the start of that process to think about long-term price and, and well price and production and demand estimates for the next 10 years for the global ag market right like mm -hmm. um, and so it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun and it gives us an opportunity to to kind of ground truth the, with this with people working in the field every single day and I think that's what's fun about our work at Fapri um, and what we do is is we get to talk to a lot of people and see what's really happening versus what, again, that rational person, right? Mm -hmm. Those people that don't exist, you know, would would think, right? So it's fun. It's a good, it's a great time. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, we're not going to have time in this segment. Um, I'm hoping that maybe you and I can can stick with the Fapri stuff because I'm curious in a, in a year like this where you might expect to see certain adjustments made in that baseline for the forecasts. Um, but that now, to be clear though, Ben, the forecast doesn't come out the final complete till March. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. Usually okay. March, March first right. to fifteenth, somewhere in there. Yep. Well, so it's so it's early in the game for you, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about maybe some adjustments made, and then of course we got to get to uh, to the markets. And end of year farm management is a big one for me. We can't let that get away from us. So uh, stick around through to the other side of the break. Let's go to the markets page at profarmer.com and check today's closes. Where December hard red winter wheat futures were nine and one quarter cents lower at six eighteen. December soft red wheat down two and three quarter cents to five fifty and three quarters. December corn futures were seven and three quarter cents lower, four sixty-seven. March corn dipped eight cents to four eighty-five and one quarter. January soybeans twenty cents lower today, thirteen forty and one quarter. March beans down eighteen and one half to thirteen fifty-six and one half. December cotton was 24 points higher, 78.92. On your livestocks, December fat cattle firmed a sawbuck, 175.75. January feeders gained $1 even to 228.50. December lean hogs 50 cents lower at 70.97. And one half you, yes, you can get more market news every market day. Go to tryprofarmer.com. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We don't make the news, we render it. AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Glad that you've opted to spend some time with us today. Your pal, Davis Michelson, taking the wheel today. Chip will be back Monday morning. Don't worry, everything's fine. Uh, I've got Ben Brown from the University of Missouri on the line here. We were talking about um, putting together the FAPRI baseline for forecasts. And I was curious, curious Ben, um, where do you anticipate seeing adjustments made in those baselines? Sure. So we, uh, as was mentioned, we, we release our, our full baseline in March. That's always the big reveal. And then there's always a, an update, if you will, take into account new yields uh, from the U.S. growing season, sometime usually in October, early September. And and so, you know, from year over year, from last March to this coming March, uh, one of the one of the, probably the bigger areas of change will, will come in, uh, you know, the U.S. balance sheets just because of the, the growing season that we had last year. Our yields mm-hmm. and U.S. production that we would have expected this past March uh, were a lot higher than what we actually, you know, had by the time we got around to to harvest wrapping up here here this fall. So, you know, that that would be a, a key area that really kind of dictates um, some of the market changes that you see year over year. Kind of provides a new starting point for us. Sure. The other the other thing that I just want to mention, and and intuitively, I think sometimes this is maybe missed, but it 
makes a lot of sense is, you know, we put out our baseline and, and, you know, users of it will say, well, this is what FAPRI anticipates uh, will be, you know, the, the result of, of future changes in like soybean crush or use for renewable diesel. And, and I would say that while that's somewhat true, the thing that gets overlooked is we assume that policy changes, right? So like, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're predicting markets um, and, and markets are hard to predict or, you know, forecast, but politics are even harder to predict. And so, you know, we don't try to take into account what might change in a policy sense. Uh, and so we just extend current policy out through the entire 10-year baseline. Um, I'll use farm bills, for example. Farm bills are typically only five to seven years, but we assume that farm bill is in place for a 10-year period of time. Same way if like we see changes okay. to the RFS, yeah. um, we assume that that stays throughout the whole period. Um, so my point of that would be that, you know, we actually have seen some developments happen as a country, as an industry in the soybean crush, more investment in soybean crush than maybe what we would have anticipated early on. Um, we were, you know, at Fapri quite a bit lower than what many private estimates would have said for um, soybean crush and renewable mm-hmm. diesel use. Mm-hmm. And and that's largely been true, right? Like the, the market's not growing as fast as what many people had anticipated. So, you know, it was probably a little closer to us, but I'll even say that I think it's being, it's growing a little bit faster than what we would have projected, right? So somewhere between the huh. two, yeah. uh, between industry and where we are at. Um, and so I think you'll see maybe a little bit of a, you know, a, a stronger growth um, by the time we get all done uh, here at Fapri. I think you'll see a little bit, maybe uh, stronger growth uh, than what we would have anticipated last March. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the new forecast. Also South American production, right? Like that's, that's another thing that we're sure. now starting to, to see trickle in, in terms of how much uh, uh, market share Brazil has in the Chinese soybean market uh, and, and how, how many soybeans China is crushing to feed their you know, kind of weak hog industry. And I say weak, but it's really the feed margins for hogs have, have been rather mm-hmm. weak and, and so far in 2023. And so to see that recover a little bit in 2024 uh, would be would be positive for the soybean industry or the soybean market. Um, and, and I think that's kind of where we're heading uh, a little bit. So so I'm teasing a little bit because I don't know ultimately where this is going to end up, right? Like you no, put perfect. this together and then yeah. and then we see, you know, then we get reviewers all over the place to kind of look at our numbers and give us feedback. And and so, you know, I, I have no idea where this is going to end up, but that's kind of where I, I see things right now. Are you are you working perhaps a side angle on this under the assumption that uh, the 2018 Farm Bill will be in effect for the next 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it, actually, can I bite on that for just a second here? So I was like, hoping you, know, you would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll bite on this for just a second here to say, you know, this week we got the extension uh, in the continuing resolution for mm-hmm. a one-year extension to the current farm policy. And, and you know, you're, you're kind of teeing me up here a little bit, or maybe you didn't realize it, you know, saying, well, what if this just ke- keeps going for the next, you know, nine years after that? Yeah. And I, I don't think that'll happen. Like, that's not my assumption. That's not my, you know, uh, that's not where I'm currently thinking that we'll keep going. But what I've struggled to, you know, what I where I'm at now is I don't know what ultimately drives this farm bill across the finish line, right? Like, what's mm-hmm. the burning issue out there that has to get fixed and we have to do something? And and whether the industry, you know, likes to hear that or not, my my answer here is, like, we didn't get a farm bill done this cycle for a variety of things, including, you know, a, a speaker battle for a couple of weeks and, and lack of clarity on funding. 
but there was also this issue of like, well, there, there wasn't that burning issue that everybody agreed had to get taken care of. Mm. Um, like mm-hmm. what we've seen in previous, you know, major farm bill debates where we had to, you know, do a multi-year extension or something like that. So um, that's my answer is like, we could actually see it for another 10 years uh, because it's, it's, you know, a couple of years, but I don't think that's going to happen because I think a couple of years down the road from now, we're going to see lower farm finances, you know, a tighter squeeze on farm margins. And that could be the, the push that gets a new farm bill with maybe some different provisions across the finish line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd like to ask you just a little bit about marketing strategies in here, but I know you also want to talk about end of year farm management. And I just don't know if we have time to get both of those in. Would you be able to stick around through the next break for like two or three minutes so we can make sure and get sure. everything yeah, in? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, that being the case, um, take me to the grain markets. Um, corn, beans, and wheat under pressure today. Um, generally broad view, or if you want to dive into one specific market, um, but uh, help us get our heads around it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you know broadly across the entire complex, as we're seeing you know some some risk off sentiment heading into the weekend. I think you used the phrase that the the grain market took the day off earlier, started the weekend early, mm-hmm. and I and I think that's I think that's true. I, I would say that the entire you know market, including all commodities uh, and and just the the overall U.S. economy as a whole, I think had kind of a risk off sentiment as. You know, we took a, a view at the jobless claims report that came out yesterday and some of the mm-hmm. other macroeconomic data that's been coming out this week. You know, I think I think that had kind of set us up for a little bit of a risk off sentiment in the entire economy today. But then I'll also say that, you know, it's prime season for uh, weather reports in South America in terms of what's influencing South American production. You know, a lot of the weather models certainly suggested that we'd see a little bit you know, more favorable growing conditions this weekend than what was maybe anticipated earlier in the week. And so I think, you know, the market is just not wanting to get caught on the wrong side of this ahead of a three-day weekend. And so a little bit of consolidation as we head into the weekend um, across all the commodities. Well, and if I'm looking at the the corn chart, um, man, it, it, it I, don't, I don't know what helps us out here, especially with harvest underway. Are we basically just sort of waiting to hear on Brazil's safrina corn? Is that what the, the market is kind of waiting for here? Sure. I think that's probably, I think that's uh, one of two maybe bullish surprises that I think mm-hmm. we'll have or, you know, things that could come out over the next couple of months. You know, the corn market is really just struggling from a lack of demand story. Um, I, I think we really, you know, high corn prices for the last year and a half, I think have, have kind of a little bit tampered, you know, some of the, the demand that was out there for corn products. I'll turn around and say corn ethanol grind margins are still very good. And we're seeing, you know, strong corn grind so far this year. And I think that might provide the USDA the justification they to increase corn grind again. Um, they did it once already here this last month, but, you know, they could do it again before the end of the year, given kind of some of these corn grind margins. But that's really kind of it, right? Like, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a lack of international corn export story. Um, that could flip very quickly. It wouldn't. Ha- it wouldn't take many uh, purchases by by China to really turn this corn market around. But right now, yeah. it's just hard to see a bullish story in the corn market. And I think that's why we've largely traded flat or within a twenty five mm-hmm. cent range for what the last three three and a half months now. About that. Yep. I had to stop looking somewhere in the middle there because I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think pretty much since the beginning of August, we've largely yeah. traded between 475 and five bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a reason for that, right? There's just nothing out there that's really provided that spark in either direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, USDA has expressed a, an amount of pessimism as far as on-farm prices go for the for next year. Um, what, what do we need? Well, no, I can see that gets us into end of year farm management there. Um, well, just stick with the corn market. Is it the kind of year where you're going to want to maybe sell right off the combine as much as you can, or are we going to stuff it in the bin? I mean, with with a with a bearish price outlook coming down from just about everybody, I don't know what you do here. <laughs> well, so the you know the decision at harvest whether to sell or whether to store. Um, comes from a, a range of different things, local basis price and the, the potential for basis appreciation, interest rates, storage costs, um, but then also market carry, right? Like that market carry. And the market is certainly, you know, the corn market is certainly suggesting um, that there's an, an, a little bit of an incentive to store um, due to the fact that, you know, it might be needed at a later point in time. Mm-hmm. However, right, like as I always tell producers, even though the market is giving that signal, it still requires producers to make an action at, right. at harvest, right? Not just sticking it in the bin unpriced, because right. that's when we end up into this this scenario to where we're we're unprotected when the futures market drastically moves lower, right? And and you talked about USDA being pessimistic. I'm also a little bit pessimistic. My corn budgets this year um have a price that's that's a lot lower than, or my corn enterprise budgets are have a price that's a lot lower than what the futures market would suggest. And so my message to oh. producers is like, well, yeah. that that certainly could provide you an incentive to think about marketing some grain um, mm-hmm. at least even for next year when we think about 2024 production yeah uh do you favor maybe making some kind of basis play in december get it get, get it locked in while you can maybe sure um so that's not typically what we see but i would say that there's places with positive basis in the western corn belt we don't have corn on um, the reverse mm-hmm. of that's true in the eastern corn belt yeah yeah my guest is ben brown he's uh, gracious enough to stick around through this break um, because we are going to get nitty gritty on end of year farm management. What should your books look like? What should you be doing? Sharpen your pencils, gang. We're talking end of year farm management for just a few more minutes. Ben Brown from the University of Missouri is right here on AgriTalk. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. The best talkers in ag, including you. Join the conversation on AgriTalk. Call us at 855-4-TALK-AG. Time flies when you're listening to AgriTalk. Heck, it flies when you're uh, newsmanning AgriTalk. I'm not sure if newsman is a verb. or not. You know what? Yes, newsman is a verb. I'm going to make newsman a verb. Your pal Davis Michelson here. Ben Brown is my guest from the University of Missouri. Um, ben, thanks for spending some time with us. I appreciate you uh, going into uh, an extra inning here with me. But I know that you wanted to talk about end-of-year farm management. We've, we've kind of touched on a few sort of concepts corn-wise here. But uh, let, me, uh, let me open the runway, and uh, what do you got on end-of-year farm management, buddy? 
Yeah, well, no, I appreciate the opportunity to come back and talk about this. I, uh, you know, yeah. So in the fall, I teach farm management, farm risk management at the University of Missouri. And I have I have wonderful, wonderful students. So if they're listening, you know, I just want you to know that you're wonderful. Um, but we've been talking about farm management considerations in class. And so that was just kind of the first thing that was on top of my or, you know, top of mind. And, sure. And you know, I would sit here and say, one, you know, think about uh, this is a great opportunity to, to sit down and do some accounting. That farm business management uh, accounting or record keeping is, is not attractive. It is not the most attractive part of running a farm business. However, time and time again, I continue to see farms that do that consistent, consistently outperform those of their fellow peers. And this is a great time to do that. After harvest, while you're making your decisions for the next growing season, you're thinking about buying inputs, um, sitting down with some at least estimates of what enterprises are going to cost you in 2024, whether that's soybeans, corn, cotton, rice, whatever that is, um, can pay large dividends, right? So the farm accounting is a big part of that. The second part of this, I'll say, is is tax management is not tax deferral, right? Um, and, and this is, again, is not an attractive comment that producers like to hear. Yeah, but good, we're though. starting to yeah. we're starting to enter into a period of time where cash is going to become king again, right? And and making sure that we're actively and you know working to build our working capital. That I just realized that working and working to build, but uh, mm-hmm. are two similar words. But uh, you know, working on that capital uh, to make sure that you have the cash reserves to to make it through leaner times, right? The the farms consistently in my research that continuously overachieve and and improve are those that work to build their working capital at the end of the year because then they have the cash on hand to make investments and moves when the when the markets present themselves. And so that would be my second one. The third thing here is think about you know risk management strategies or what you plan to do um, to manage the risk that operations and businesses face, whether that be on the grain marketing side. We've already talked a little bit about storage, but you know what tools exist in the farmer toolbox um, to to be able to make sure that we're taking that price risk off the table um, to to be continue to be profitable. Um, same way on the livestock side, we've we've seen very strong you know, livestock prices um, in the in the feeder calf market, you know, can we take yep. some of that price risk off um, with products like livestock risk protection uh, that, that help provide that price floor and, and ensure profitability? So I, I, plus LRP allows for the upside of the market. You keep to continue right. to participate as markets go higher. So that's, that's a great tool as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my three, this is a great time to think about farm accounting um, and do some farm business management on the on the record keeping side. It's a great time to think about uh, tax management, which is not tax deferral. I'll say it again because I believe that highly of it. And then third, uh, what risk management strategies are you going to use or build in your toolbox or improve within your farming operation as a skill that are going to help over the next five years, three to five years? As, as we maybe look at periods of, of smaller margins over, mm-hmm. over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, that's a lot to digest, but that's, uh, that's really good, really good. Think accounting, think tax management, and think risk management strategies. Um, I love that. Hey, if there are uh, young students or families of young students <laughs> listening here, you want to brag on the uh, University of Missouri just a little bit and tell them where they can get more info? Yeah, sure. So we... We offer a bunch of you know programs through our extension program. 
but I, I do, I teach the farm risk management class at Mizzou. We maxed out at 90 students this year. And I, I just, I've had such a wonderful time with, with my Good. students. I'm grading their mm-hmm. midterms today. Uh-oh. Um, and, yeah, is I'm any of it sticking? Can you, is it yes, sticking? Yes. yes. Ever, <laughs> good, good. Um, if I, if I've got time, I'll make a quick joke. I, sure. I, I always say that, I always say that kind of teaching in the academic sense in college is, is a lot like being a high school basketball coach, right? Like I, I coach and I teach and they, they try to learn and then practice it. But I'll say there's one big difference on test day. I'm sitting up in the front of the room and I'm so proud of how hard they've worked. <laughs> but when they, when I see them make a silly mistake, I can't yell at them. Like my high school basketball <laughs> coach yelled at me. Right. Like I can't yell at them. Like, no, that's such a stupid thing. Why would you do that? Um, but I, I love my students. They're wonderful. And uh, you know, the future's in good hands. So outstanding Ben Brown from the university of Missouri. Thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous today, sir. Thank you. All right. Have a, have a great day. Uh, ben Brown from the University of Missouri. Wow, what a great conversation. I'm definitely going to have to listen to that again later on. Um, I've got cattle on feed reports here. Um, here are the numbers. I'm just going to run them down real quick. On feed, as of November 1, the average trade guess was 101.8%. USDA came in at 101.7. Placements in October, the trade expected 1049 Placements in October reported by uh, USDA, 103.8. Again, just slightly below. And marketing's in October. Trade expected 97.9% of year ago, and USDA delivered a 97.5. Again, just shy of the estimate. But the re- overall read is uh, largely meh, if I can use a technical term. National Weather Service, 6 to 10 day forecast. Okay. Uh, oh, all right. It's going to be hot in Alaska. Wow. The only red on my screen here is in Alaska. Above normal temperatures expected in the 6 to 10 day temperature outlook by the National Weather Service. Uh, here in the contiguous U.S., we've got, um, I'm going to call it the eastern two-thirds of the nation is under below normal temperature lookouts. Um, and then you get out to Washington, Oregon, and California, and they're a little bit above normal. Going to be dry everywhere except right around Denver, Colorado, and kind of around that little region there. Let's look out to the seven, uh, the eight to fourteen. Yes, updated November seventeen. Basically, that that hot and cold pattern of two thirds to uh, one third is just going to shift a little bit eastward. So the warmer temperatures come in, the colder temperatures move off into the southeast. Still going to be hot in Alaska. Uh, and above normal precip expected in Alaska and through the southeastern United States, below normal in the center of the country. I hope you've had a great week. Um, have some fun this weekend, Chip. We'll be back first thing Monday morning. Peace out, America.